Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we're going to be talking about Viva Zapata from 1952. A controversial film these days, you know, uh, when you get into the casting and whatnot, but decent flick. It was up for five nominations, um, five Oscars at the 25th Academy Awards. Uh, we've been to this ceremony before, long time ago, when we did High Noon, uh, one of my favorite 50s movies, one of Connor's favorite 50s movies. It just fucking rules. Uh, we're not going to be having a, uh, you know, big praise session here. You know, uh, Viva Zapata has its issues and we're going to talk about them. We're going to bring them up. Um, for me, I give this movie a six out of 10. I think it's okay. It's probably not something I'm going to watch again. It's also not on streaming right now. You have to rent it on, you know, Amazon Prime or, or Vudu, whatever it may be. So that's what Connor and I did. Um, what, what What's your general thoughts on the film? I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. I mean, I, I'm That's currently, fair. yeah, I'm currently re- like working on a thesis about representation of Hispanic actors and filmmakers in Hollywood in the 20th mm. century. And there's a lot more bad examples and there are good examples. And Viva Zapata is very much a bad example when you cast Marlon Brando, might as well, you know, be called Marlon Gringo, a like as a Mexican revolutionary hero, you know, and yeah. then lather him in brown paint, give him a mustache and a sombrero and say, here's our Mexican folk hero. It's like, no, especially when you got Anthony Quinn, an actual Mexican American actor, right here. Yeah, literally right there, acting his ass off. Yeah. Yeah. Who wanted this role so bad and lost it in a piss contest with Marlon Brando. I mean, a literal pissing contest. Yeah. Which is just no reading his autobiography, that made perfect sense. Anthony Quinn was out of his goddamn mind, but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, we will. Uh, definitely want to talk about Mr. Quinn. He's a fascinating guy. Um, he won for Best Supporting Actor for this movie. Um, he's he's one of the better supporting you know uh, performers that we've ever had. Uh, fascinating life and had his demons. And I know you you got to read a book about him recently. And you're like you mentioned your your thesis is is this is kind of at the center of it. This is like a prime example of of a, like you said a bad example. <laughs> uh, you, you can you can like Brando. You can you know dig dig his stuff. You can you know uh, appreciate him as a performer. But uh, it just so happens that this this big big time Oscar nominated role for him as as Emiliano. Uh, yeah, I mean he's, it's brown face. It's a fake mustache. It's a big giant sombrero the whole time. He speaks in Spanish like every like twentieth word, and then the other nineteen words are are all English. Um, this is the time, you know, it's the fifties. They were so politically just out of it, you know, at this time, especially in Hollywood. Uh, so I don't really blame Brando. You know what I mean? It's not really like his fault or something. It's just, uh, it's just unfortunate. You know, this is part of his run. Uh, he was nominated four years in a row. Right. So like this is in the middle of it. And I think it is important to bring up, because because of that huge thing, like Anthony Quinn is right there, a guy that could that obviously could play the role. He you know he's he's playing he's playing his brother. So like I don't know, it just just it just doesn't make sense to 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 have that decision to have that call. It'd be like right now if Leonardo DiCaprio played played Zapata. You know what I mean? Like it'd be like the same thing. That's just wild to think about. Craziest thing is uh in the um in the book that I read, his Anthony Quinn's parents actually did fight in this war like wow. they, they were revolutionaries who fought Gosh. for mexico's freedom so he not only had like he, he had real investment in this and i'm sure he got told you know 
you're not white enough for the for the lead performance. I'm sure he got told that a lot. Mm. And now he's not the only one. And yeah, it is, you know, it's not Brando's fault, but again, you know, he did take the role. Yeah, he got yeah, he signed the contract. Yeah. But I don't think it was out of spite or anything. He just saw, you know, he it was work. Yeah, like, and it's it's a, a chance to work with the director that he knows, you know, from yeah. Streetcar Named Desire and On the Waterfront, you know, these movies obviously on the waterfronts after, but this is a guy he's worked with prior and is going to work with after. They clearly have a partnership that works. Well, you know, it's hard to kind of really, you know, throw the blame around here. I mean, I guess, I guess the production companies are probably where you can start with, you know, making those kinds of rules. And I've still got a lot more research to do, but, you know, I don't want this stuff to be swept under the rug. I don't want this to be, you know, excused as like, oh, no, it was 1952. We don't say that for films that have blackface in them. Yeah, yeah. To me, this is just as bad. I and agree. I, you know, I'm glad that we're using this as kind of a way to just kind of, you know, talk through a film like this that I don't think we should necessarily like abandon, mm. but definitely needs to be, you know, has an asterisk next to the name. Like this, you need to know some things before you watch a film like this. I, yeah, hundred percent. That's really well put. Abandoning a piece of art because of decisions that aren't really connected to us yeah. <laughs> uh is is it, it's like well you can still watch the damn thing you know and and gain that knowledge for yourself get your own perspective and i know that's what you and i are like all about whether it be negative or positive it's all about getting that perspective for your own brain for your own mind and then you can you know form your own thoughts so we are gonna gonna be going into it you know we'll go into you know brando quinn john steinbeck wrote right this is a screenplay screenplay by the the legendary writer um alex north great composer uh joseph mcdonald awesome cinematographer so we'll talk about those guys in a little bit um and we'll give some awards out to to the film viva sapata and then we'll briefly look at the 25th academy awards at the end of the episode uh but i know we've both checked out some some stuff some some random shit uh the past past few days so i want to hear like what movies you've been getting into i know i know we both watched hocus pocus 2 um, I watched a couple other 1952 movies for the for the fuck of it, but what else have you been watching? <laughs> well, I haven't gotten to watch a lot, and honestly, I could lie and say it's school related, but really, I've been in a just endless typhoon of that 70s show in Kingdom Hearts, so I couldn't be bothered with much else. Uh, that's so just, awesome! Yeah, I'm almost done with both, and then I will go back to what my life used to be. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I did. Um, I did rewatch Hellraiser, the first one, to prep mm. for a uh, filmgasm next week, and that's always an interesting watch. <laughs> oh yeah, one of my favorite, one of my favorite eighties horror movies for sure. Yeah, just a vicious time, always so unforgiving. It really is just you know, hell itself come to come to life. I one of my favorite bits in the TV show Supernatural was one of the characters went to hell. And they were talking to a demon about it. Like a demon was saying about, you know, no, no movies ever gotten hell right except Hellraiser. They got pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> I always yeah. thought that was funny. He's like, yeah, I thought the same. Like, <laughs> that's hell right there. But uh, that was fun. And then I did watch Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, I've, you know, I'm a lifelong fan of the first movie. I went uh-huh. into this with pretty low expectations. And like I say, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I enjoyed it. Oh God! I, yep, I, I knew. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. 
because uh, yeah, it's just not for me. <laughs> well, he's, all right. So tell me this: When did you first see the first film? Uh, maybe when I was like nine, ten, oh, maybe yeah. eight, nine, ten. I don't know. I like the first one. I think it's fine. Okay. Well, then my argument just got completely torpedoed. So I, <laughs> I dig, I digress. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't see the 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 you know 1993 one if you don't see it at a young age and you see it when you're like 25 you're gonna be like what what the fuck is the big deal here <laughs> you know you have to have that little kid's perspective that like you know it's a, a lot of those movies are like that i i love the three sisters in both movies i think they're great but the the, the kids in hocus pocus 2 were, were just flat out bad like i i was like they were taking me out of it it felt like um Disney Channel original movie like acting quality from the kids, uh, like the 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 like douchey like football player kid, like why did we need him at all? Like he was terrible. So there's just those things that are like, what? Well, why is this here? But there's some cute moments, right? I thought uh, Sam Richardson was good as Gilbert. I thought he was he was he was funny. Uh, but yeah, like half the actors were just like, oh boy, you like you're out of your out of your element here. I loved Tony Hale. I thought he was hilarious. He was funny. I've always liked him. And I appreciated that it wasn't just a rehash because that's what I was expecting. Was it to just be the same beats as the first movie with a new coat of paint? But it wasn't. It went into the to the backstory of the sisters. We got a little bit more of, you know, of, a, of a, some character development with them. There was a new vibe, a new story, a new plan. Mm. I like that new songs. Like I love their take on the bitches back in one way or another. I, <laughs> I'm a sucker for this. For this this idea, I don't know what it is, but this like Halloween Town Disney vibe, I've always loved. Okay, <laughs> yeah, Halloween Town's a great example of just like it. I don't know, it just just like it looks like like an arts and crafts crew like threw it all together, and it's not like a proper production. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. That's nothing wrong with that. I love that this is like the closest to an argument we've ever had. <laughs> like this is this is it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah that's hilarious <laughs> i think it's a decent flick i'll probably add it to my yearly watch if i'm gonna watch hocus pocus i might as well watch hocus pocus too i okay. i was impressed i i liked it uh and just as a side note uh caleb really enjoyed the monsters <laughs> so really he went ahead and watched it he know? did uh, and he, he yeah. liked it he liked it so you know this was just like not your weekend man I didn't. I'm not. I, I won't ever watch the monsters. I don't think. I, I don't think. I I'll just ever. love that everything that came out is like so not you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, which is why I, I, I just like literally got home and started recording with you after seeing Barbarian. I finally got to see that, and that was up my alley. <laughs> you know, that was that was kind of my shit, but. uh so, so you've been watching that 70s show, like you've been grinding, just going through that, like a grind. You watched Hocus Pocus 2, Hellraiser, um, anything else? I did watch, all right, yeah, I usually let's just spotlight like first time watches here, but there are some, there's some, uh, some like, you know, October-y stuff. Like I, I rang in the year, yeah. I ran in, I rang in uh, October with Sweeney Todd. There you go. Hell yeah. I haven't seen that in a while. I know, me too. It's like, it felt right. Yeah. Uh, I love that movie. Always reminds me of my freshman year of college where the theater kids in my dorm would just not stop singing those fucking songs. Twas Pay Rally, he's Miracle Elixir. 
It was the worst pies in London that I heard the most. It was this one yeah. girl. I remember her because I wanted to fucking strangle her. <laughs> These are probably the worst pies. Yeah. I have like I flashbacks when I hear that fucking song. My, my favorite is uh, 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 I hear you, Joanna. <laughs> uh, that's but a fun one. It's a creepy one. It's a good movie. I, I, I miss, you know, Johnny Depp's leading man status. I hope we get to have that back. Uh, and then I also watched on a whim because I love this movie and I don't care what any of you all think. I get so much shit for this. Van Helsing, 2004. I like Van Helsing too. Yeah. That's yeah, fun. It's just fun. Caleb and Josh have given me so much shit for that movie. I don't care. It's fun. Okay. Okay. I don't care. They, they probably will never listen to this. Even if they did, even if they did, I don't care. Josh and Caleb, love you guys, but you have no fucking business telling someone that what they watch is silly. When you, when you like, what's that movie? Spookies? I like looked into that movie and I was like, this looks like fucking hot, hot garbage, you know? Oh. So it's like, so it's like, hey, if it's okay for you to like your shit, let Connor like his shit. You know what I mean? Oh. You know what I'm saying? Buddy, you just started a civil war. Oh, God good, damn it. Good, good. You know, because you let me like my dumb shit, right, Connor? I All let you time. like your, yeah, I let you like your dumb shit. And even, most of the time, I don't think it's dumb. We get along with a lot of stuff, but like, Hocus Pocus 2. I'm not here stabbing you in the heart because you like Hocus Pocus 2. It's fine. Yeah. It's not for me. It's just not for me. I can go after you for Godard all day, but and God knows I want to, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, and go ahead because I, I don't care. You know what I mean? It's like I don't care if someone doesn't get along with what I or like doesn't connect. That's that's part of the cool part when you do find someone who connects with you is like we can have this. It's okay if other people don't like it. That's like the point of art. <laughs> like, it had honestly never occurred to me that Oscar Sunday is our safe space to just bitch them out because they're never going to listen to this. Yeah, well, it's it, it's it's uh it's this you know uh it's and I I wouldn't I don't care I love both of them you know and they've yeah, both they've both recommended really great stuff to me, but they have no business like acting like they're holier than thou when it comes to horror taste or whatever it is you know. <laughs> I'm glad somebody finally said it, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can, the shit I've watched, you know, in their apartment, just like straight faced, like, are you serious? And then it's, yeah, it's this weird protective thing. I get it. I get it. If you love it, you want to show people. And if they don't like it, you're going to be a bit, there's going to be some pushback. I get that. Yeah. It's Van Helsing. Like, get over it. It's fine. Like, <laughs> I, I love that movie to death, and y'all can yeah. y'all go fuck yourselves. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Van Helsing's a fun watch. It's not it's not fucking Godfather, but it's fun. Oh, this probably won't get back to them, but it'd be hilarious if it does. And this you should yeah. you should fucking send them a link straight straight to them and be like, go to minute ten, listen to Austin. <laughs> I don't care. I really don't. I love both of them, you know. Uh, and congrats to uh, to Josh's Arsenal. They had a huge fucking win today. You know, I was watching them and I was thinking of Josh the whole time. I still don't like Spookies, you know. <laughs> you didn't have to fucking watch that train wreck. I did. I went on YouTube and I was like, I can't. I simply can't. Like, I was like, I, I'll I'll try because I heard you talk about it and I was like, it can't be that bad. And then I was like, oh, it's that bad. <laughs> there is a you know? whole 
part of film that I have tried very hard to hide from you because <laughs> I know <laughs> it is not your taste at all and it might yeah. discourage you from watching certain things. I don't want to take that away from you. So uh, you know me. I, I very rarely, um, and like some people that I know, like some of my friends, they'll be like, oh, you're just a snob. Like, I'm not, I'm not, if you like really know me. Uh, but I, I stay away from stuff. I really do. Cause I, I take my time very seriously because I have a child and I don't, I don't get to just sit in front of the TV like I want to all goddamn day. So I'm like, all right, when it's nighttime, I'm going to like, I'm, I'm, gonna watch something i want to watch and that i know not know but i have high expectations for you know what i mean um that's that's a better use for my time personally There's nothing wrong with having standards and yeah. yeah yeah the more you know the more we do this the more films we pile up the more i have started to kind of adopt my own standard to stay away from certain things that i'm pretty sure i'm not gonna like because you know now, I don't have a kid, but I do have this giant-ass paper I have to write. Yeah, and you have a lot of stuff you want to watch. So it's yeah. like, if I want to watch this, I should probably stay away from that. You know, it's just part of the part of the game. Yeah, so. <laughs> this, great. This, this is got, great. This turned into a roast real fast. <laughs> yeah, so that came out of Van Helsing. Sweeney Todd and Van Helsing. So that's awesome. You've kicked off your October just right. Yes, yes, I have. Oh, man. Um, outside. God damn! Outside of Barbarian, what have uh, what have you checked out? Uh, yeah, Barbarian was great. Uh, probably one of my like, actually, it probably is my favorite horror movie of the 2020s already. Like of the past like three, two, three years, right? Um, uh, off the top of my head, like I was, I was really into Malignant. Um, and then there's like a bunch of movies that I thought were good but not great. Like, you know, I'd give them sevens or eights. This one is like a pure nine for sure. Like, I definitely want to buy it. I want to rewatch it. I would love to, you know, I, I would love to just kind of like study it. I thought it was just a masterclass in tone, tone changing and um, little tricks with the camera that were great. Even if they were kind of like um, stealing from other movies, I just, I don't care. Like, that's a big part of what movies is. Uh, I love the first person stuff we got, like with Justin Long, his character. Um, I loved, I loved the, the villains that we had. They were like truly frightening. Um, I thought Richard Brake was like putting in like one of the better horror performances I've seen in a long time. Uh, yeah, I, I, I fucking loved it. And I, one of my favorite things about it is that the trailer did its job. Yeah. Like I try to stay away from trailers because none of them are as good as the barbarian trailer, you know, like it's very hard to make a trailer that good for a horror movie where you're not giving away massive stuff. You're just really, they only give away stuff that's going to happen like in the first, you know, like quarter of the movie. And so I, I love that. I love that they leave like a huge chunk of the movie up to like, you have to see it, you know? And, and, and I, I love that. I think horror movies should do that more often. I think movies in general should do that more often, but specifically horror. Cause you want that, yeah. you want that bite, you know, you want it to really, really sting you um, when it happens in the theater or at home, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it, it got me like, it got me like excited. I was like, fuck yeah. Like horror can still do this. You know, it can still have like this word of mouth thing. Cause you know, I've been very aware of it. I wanted to see it wait, you know, like a couple weeks ago, I guess when it came out, but just hadn't had time. 
So I finally got to go see it with my wife. We both loved it. We walked out like that was fucking awesome. It made me laugh sometimes. It made me like truly like kind of squirm in my seat a couple times. Like I was like, whoa, man, like this is freaky. So it was awesome. Um, Hocus Pocus 2, of course. Uh, then I watched a couple 1952 movies. One, um, Comeback Little Sheba. Uh, just kind of a random one that has some Oscar, Oscar love. But I mostly watched it because Burt Lancaster is the lead. And Burt's like one of my favorite 50s 60s guys uh he's fucking lights out in that movie he plays a alcoholic recovering alcoholic who you know you're you're waiting the whole movie like when is he gonna slip up and when he does he fucking explodes and it's like ah! <laughs> you know it's like a volcano erupting because you're waiting you're like if you know bird you're like he's 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 being really subtle at the beginning of the movie at the first you know whatever 45 minutes and then out of nowhere, he starts to just fucking. You're like, there's Burt Lancaster, you know, the, the the guy that we love. So yeah, that, that was a cool movie. That one's on Criterion. And then I watched uh, Akira Kurosawa's Ikaru, which was like mind blowing, like mind blowingly good. Uh, I had obviously heard of it. It's one of his most acclaimed movies. Uh, just I've always been intimidated by the two and a half hour runtime and just kind of like, you know, like. I, I, I want a reason to reason to watch this. And so I was like looking up the, the top rated 1952 movies and it was way up there. And I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. I love Kurosawa. So it's fucking fantastic. Um, I was, you know, looking at it and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to watch this. Uh, and then I watched Bill Hader um, shows it for one of his like adventures in movie going. And Bill Hader is an absolute, absolute cinephile. He's a freak of nature when it comes to movies and his knowledge. And he's talking about how this is his favorite Kurosawa film and was breaking down his favorite scenes from the movie. And I was, okay, I gotta, I, I, I gotta watch this. Like he, he sold me. So it's great. You would love it, Connor. Like it is Kurosawa. Maybe it's, it might be my favorite of his movies already. Like it's just, it's got such a cool story. So relatable, really, really doing that thing that filmmakers do where they just like start cutting like to the heart of their audience and like, speaking to you directly like no bullshit just speaking to you like straight up man to man you're like oh my god you know it's, it's awesome and then the last one i watched um was boogie nights <laughs> that's the last movie i'll talk about uh before we move on um obviously it's one of my you know favorite movies of all time uh it's arguably you know paul thomas anderson's best movie it's definitely his most entertaining movie uh, it's definitely the most coke-induced movie, right? Um, and my f- one of my favorite podcasts called the Rewatchables. Uh, very much people that I that I look up to run that show, and I've always always wanted to like do things the way they do it because it's all about passion, all about love for movies and music and sports and whatnot. I've always looked up to them, right? And they did a four-hour two-part uh podcast on boogie nights because the guy who runs the podcast bill simmons and he he owns the ringer the website he it's it was his birthday he was like this is my favorite movie of the past 25 years so i'm we're gonna talk about boogie nights for as long as i fucking want to (laughs) and so him and two other guys they talk about it for for four hours man you know and of course i listen to every goddamn minute uh of these guys talking about you know talking about porn talking about Burt Reynolds punching the shit out of Paul Thomas Anderson on set and talking about how 
Mark Wahlberg, like this, this is his best role ever. You know, there's like no, no arguments. Uh, it was, it was just great. I had a blast. And so I was like, you know, I'll watch this movie for the fucking 36th time and uh, stay up till, you know, 3am, 4am watching again, one, one of, one of my favorite movies of all time. One of the movies that I watched and I was like, uh, yeah, I want to chase that. Like I want to keep watching things until I get that feeling again. When you're at Rahad Jackson's house, Alfred Molina, at the end of that movie, like I want that over and over. I want that high, like just straight up injected into me, you know, and that's Boogie Nights. So always love watching Paul Thomas Anderson's work. And I had a reason to, to listen to these other guys talk about it. So it was awesome. That's on Netflix. Uh, good shit. But and of course, Viva Zapata, man, you know, um, like I said, we rented this and I think we both were surprised that we didn't like hate it or anything. There's not like a hate towards the movie. There's just that those surrounding conversations about the casting and it's, it's not just some guy, it's Marlon Brando, you know, it's like maybe the greatest actor of all time at the center of this decision-making. True. I think what helps honestly is um, having done quite a few beyond the bads. Now I know this was not Marlon Brando's worst decision. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was a bad I one. I forgot y'all did that. <laughs> yeah. We, I've sat through the island of Dr. Moreau. I know what Brando's capable yeah. of when he doesn't give a shit. But yeah. this was just, you know, a bad idea that nobody really saw as a bad idea in 1952 because it was 1952. And mm-hmm. bad decisions when it came to race were just par for the course until people started actually, you know, fighting back. Uh and yeah, I didn't hate it. I thought I was entertained. I thought, you know, Anthony Quinn kept me, kept me, you know, kept, he kept shit real. He mm. always did that. Anthony Quinn, his demons and his life and the shit he saw always influenced his performances and kept shit realistic. And mm. I, I was always impressed with that. Um, you know, we saw that when we did La Strada. Uh, he's just, you know, he's oh. a rock star. Yeah, he is lights out in that movie. Just that movie does a really good job of showing, you know, obviously like his stature and like the space that he consumes as a performer. Uh, so I that's trickled into like, you know, Guns of Never Home. We watched that. He was by far my favorite actor in that movie. And in this, you know, he yeah, he's astonishing. You know, I love I love his his voice is so awesome. Like I'll, I'll be bringing him up in my awards the whole time (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) yeah Yeah. it was i wish that him and brando had worked together under better circumstances because that is a match made in heaven that i feel like we didn't really get to see in the right way Mm, that's a good point yeah damn sad yeah sad stuff man uh uh, it it sucks that that's like the way the cookie crumbled back then you know because marlon brando too like I think people forget just how like fast his, his, his shit came, you know? Yeah. Like it was, it was like he was in a show and then he was in streetcar named desire, <laughs> you know, like, like he just jumped like right in like Viva Zapata is like his third or fourth movie like ever, you know? And so like the guy just immediately became like the goat so fast, you know, his, his ride is so much different than Anthony Quinn. So much different. Yeah. We've talked about quite a few of them, you know, starts with streetcar, then Viva Zapata, then it's Julius Caesar which we yep. did uh, on a showdown from here to eternity, here to yeah. eternity. Yeah. And then 
right into on the waterfront wins his first Oscar. Now he's on top of the world. Yeah. Insane within four years. That's unreal. Yeah. It's uncanny. It's uncanny what he was able to do uh, at that time. Uh, Obviously, obviously when you take the decade of the fifties, he's the most decorated, you know, as far as nominations go, he's the most decorated guy and it just continued. And he gives, you know, 30 years later in apocalypse now like you you know he's like i still fucking got it you know what i mean and even if i don't care about any of you <laughs> I, I firmly believe no living actor today could show up to a, a big budget war movie 30 pounds overweight having not read the script and just says i'm gonna wing it in the shadows no way in hell he gets he pulls that off but brando did it yeah that's that's like one of his things like it's like when you're talking about, you know, because of course art is all up to, to the person's opinion and perspective, but like when you're trying to compare guys, you're comparing a Marlon Brando to a, to a Daniel Day-Lewis or whatever, you know, it is. It's like, well, Brando just like just breathed it. Like it wasn't, he didn't have to, it seemed like he didn't even have to fucking try. Like he just, it was just in him. And Daniel Day-Lewis was like, I'm going to work hard for this. I'm going to like dedicate Everything when I'm doing a movie, my life is that movie. You know, it's like it depends which one you prefer. You know what I mean? Well, that's that's what really amazes me about Brando is the fact that it, he really didn't care. It was yeah. so it was just what he did. Like he was his performances were so genuine and powerful, even when he didn't fucking read the script. The Godfather, he was getting his lines fed to him. He had cue cards written on Robert Duvall. And yet he gives one of the most iconic gangster performances of all time, maybe the definitive one of his career. And I mean, what the <laughs> hell? That kind of talent is remarkably rare. That's once in a lifetime when you just ooze charisma like that, where you don't have to try on any level and you're the most talented guy in the room. Nobody today has that. And I don't think so. Like, I don't think we have. This, this breed is gone. Like this, uh, it just doesn't exist anymore. Like, I, I hate to be that guy, even though I'm, you know, we're we're, we're in our twenties. But like, we've seen enough stuff from all these all these decades. There, like, there is, you know, like the Sterling Haydens and the Burt Lancasters and the the Brandos, like the gravitas, like the masculine, just like fuck you thing thing that they have going on. Yeah, it's just like it, like just is so few and far between nowadays. To quote Tony Soprano, "Whatever happened to the strong, silent type?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's now it's like now it's like fucking got it. They have to be like funny. Like it's like Chris Pratt and like Chris Hemsworth, and they're like <laughs> like throwing jokes around every five seconds. It's like whoa, what? Yeah, what happened to that? Just like fucking cool, cool thing. Well, I've you know in all the research I've done and like read about these guys from their own words, like a lot of it's just pent up trauma that they weren't allowed to voice because it would have, you know, their masculinity would have been called into question and you can't have that as, you know, pre, you know, free love guys. And these guys, you know, that was their bread and butter. This was their careers. They had to bottle that shit up and they turned that into performance. And we don't have that anymore because now men are allowed to cry. (laughs) Which is good. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a good thing. It's a good, it's not, this is not a good situation but it led to so much iconic work and that's really fucked up. But that's, I think that's what's, what's doing this. You, you know, who has it? Josh Brolin. He's got it. He's got that. Like, 
yeah, fuck you. Like, I don't fucking care. You know, he's got that kind of just chip on his shoulder type thing. True. But he can also go on hot ones and, you know, talk about his life while he's eating hot wings. Like, I don't correct see, like Burt Lancaster doing that shit. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Like, you're you're an actor. So, like, Josh Brolin is like, I can go there. But that is not me. Like, everything I've... Like, John Bernthal. Like, the dude seems like a A1 guy. Yeah. Like, he seems like the coolest dude. His podcast fucking rules. He's, like, really trying to help human beings. But when he's on the screen, like, as the Punisher, you're like, that guy's got that quality. He's got that yeah. old school quality. That's true. That's a good point. It is, you know, these days it's so hard to separate actor from performance because of the, the spotlight and because of all the, you know, the shit like the hot, like hot ones and, you know, podcasts mm. and all that. We are so connected to that side of celebrity that we yeah. don't see the mystery anymore. Like Burt Lancaster was just, you know, you only saw him at the pictures. You didn't see him doing, you know, Carson and shit. Like this was, that was just the only time you connected with these guys. So I can, I see. Yeah. I, I wish we kind of had a little bit of that back. Yeah, yeah. I've I, I think about that a lot. I think about the you know, like if Marlon Brando had a Twitter, you know, like oh it's just God. you know, you know what I mean? It's like it's pro- probably wouldn't be a good thing. You know, like what if Michael Jordan had a Twitter, you know? Uh like you could even go back just to the 90s, you know, like pre, you know, pre like social media and pre, you know, internet all over the place all in the palm of our hand. The access we have is like like I, I I can watch, like, you know, my favorite, my favorite uh, soccer team is Chelsea. Like, I can watch them, like, in, in the locker room. Like, they're all doing live videos. Like, yeah, we just won or whatever it is, you know. Uh, and it's like, it, it's like I'm with them in the room. I mean, I'm not. It's a figment of my imagination, really. But, like, I'm watching the video and I'm like, oh, this is, like, so inclusive. But... Really, it's not. It's kind of sad. Like when you really break it down, you're like, mm, "It's." I'm just looking at a screen. I'm not. I'm not there. I'm not a part of anything. Really, I'm not really doing anything to be there. Uh, that that is such an interesting thing. Like, what's which which one's better? Like having all the access to where you're like, I feel close to celebrities that I love and like the craft that they're that they're doing, or not knowing shit about their personal life and they're they're just their craft is all I know is like on the screen, on the court, on the field. I wish we had that. Like when, when Leonardo DiCaprio broke up with his girlfriend because she was like 27 now and everyone went ape shit over him, like dating younger models. And I'm, I'm thinking like, what the fuck does this have to do with the Revenant, with Gilbert grape, with Titanic, with once upon a time in Hollywood? Like, does this matter at all to anybody, but him? Like, why do we care? Yeah, why do we care? Like, why? Like, what? You know, what does it? What does it matter? Because also, he's been doing that for a long time. Yeah, and not so, once has it ever impacted my life in any way. Nor has it. Made yeah, me think, I don't want to go see that new Leo DiCaprio picture because I don't care about actors' personal. I don't care about anybody's personal life unless I know them personally. Yeah, that is that is so interesting. That's such an interesting topic, and, and it's like. If I do know that they're a piece of shit, well, like, what am I supposed to do with that information? You know, am I like, oh, therefore I can't watch anything that you do? Like, I don't want to have that attitude either because I love this stuff. You know, yeah. like, it's, it, I, yeah, I, 
I, that celebrity culture, that idea that like the more, you know, the more connected you feel to them, that screams like desperation so much that feels so pathetic. I just like get, get a friend, like f- talk to somebody real. Like DiCaprio is never going to know your name. <laughs> like just come to terms with that shit. Like it's, it's crazy to me that people live in on that precipice. It is so close to just like being committed to, th- it's, mm. it's, to me, it's, it's, it's Rupert Pumpkin and the King of comedy. It's like yeah. talking to the cardboard cutout, like your best friends and then going to talk to the real one. And he's like, I don't know who the fuck you are. It's that's what this is to me. Yeah, that is what it is. That like a hundred percent is what it is. Uh, <laughs> now I'm thinking back on my own life. Like, have I ever just looked fucking crazy? You know, and I'm sure I have, I'm sure I've been like, Oh, Adam Sandler is, is at the Madison, you know, is at Madison Square Garden for the Knicks game, and like, so he's not hanging out with you. <laughs> You're not. We've all done it. We've all, you know, had those moments where we like, you know, we think that we have that moment where we're like, oh, they're, I would be their best friend. And yeah, you no, <laughs> they have a best friend, and it's not you. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's a come down that you just gotta come to terms with at some point in your it, life. If you don't, you're going to end yeah. up trying to kill them. Like the guy who killed John Lennon. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's that, there's that facet of it too. I, I, the one thing that I do think is good. Brianna talk, my, my wife talks about this a lot. Like when I'm, when I'm kind of like, I get like cynical and kind of like, what the <laughs> fuck do we care about anything? You know, she's like, it is good. Like take, take a, Take Roman Polanski, for example, a guy who's, who's, who's gone through decades and decades of, of, of filmmaking and history and all these different people know about him. If we, if we didn't know like the little things about his life, it does change the way you look at him completely. Then I would be like, then I would be like, oh, he's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I don't really say that now. You know what I, I mean? I There's do a think- huge asterisk like next to that. There's a big difference when it's public criminal charges. Okay. okay. When that so shit like, happens, that's like, this is now something we collectively know about these people. This is bad. That's fair. But like, yeah. but like this guy breaking up with some girl. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's like a, there's a, there's a spectrum. Like my family has a huge beef with Kenneth Branagh because he cheated on Emma Thompson. Yeah, I don't care. I don't fucking care. Emma Thompson's yeah. not my sister. I don't care. Like, where is this? Where does this come from? They hate, you know, Sandra Bullock's ex-husband. It's like, I don't know the guy. I have no. I just want to see the film. I just want to see. That's the hilarious. Not, yeah, it's, my family falls deep into this celebrity culture from time to time, and I got to pull them out of it and make them realize, like, your life is here. Yeah, <laughs> you're in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, I, I do think, yeah, there is a line where it's like, if it crosses that and it is on the news, it's like, well, yeah, oh yeah, I mean, they, they should be in prison type thing. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example that's like lesser, you know, it's like on a lesser scale. Because like the the Leo thing is like, I really don't care. Like I re- Unless you were with like 15 year olds, I, I, like being with a 25 year old, I don't care. Doesn't, well, also, doesn't matter. I do think that it does matter when celebrities choose to reveal this information themselves. Mm, interesting. When they, when they want people to know, like, you know, somebody in their family, like they're dying or somebody they, in their family's dying or, you know, a crime was committed or they're retiring, something that they think is going to have bearing on the way people view them. 
I might pay a little bit more attention. But when it's just tabloid shit, like, look what they did. Who fucking cares? Yeah, like, Mark Wahlberg is now a Christian. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you telling me the guy from Boston is now a Christian? Wow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good good for you, Marky Mark. Good yeah. report. Good job. Yeah, you still play Dirk Diggler. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, like, yeah, those things are just so silly. And people, like, when people create a whole, like, phenomenon around something that dumb, like a, a headline, like, Kanye cheats again. Like, cool. Dude, nothing <laughs> will ever top the endless fucking Jen and Brad bullshit. They yeah. are still on that. They're, they've been talking about that for like half a fucking decade. At least, yeah. And I, I'm just like, yeah, seven's cool. <laughs> you know, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt's good in movies, you know, like that's that's where I'm at. I did not mean half a decade. That was that's too much. That's that's five years. <laughs> My mistake. Like 20 years or something. I don't know how long. See, yeah, I clearly yeah. am not paying attention. This whole century, we've been talking, like people have been yeah. talking about it. It's been the in People magazine for, for 20 years. Like, yeah. fuck. I, I feel like just I've absorbed by osmosis all of the people they've dated. I don't fucking care, but people keep telling me about it. And, and you like, you go to the grocery store, bam, magazine, magazine, magazine. You know, it's like, oh my God, you know? Yeah. This stuff that we're like, that you and I are obsessed with. It's unfortunate that it comes with this baggage, this just like phony bullshit, like fugazi, just like fucking like it's not it's just not fucking real. Like it's not your real life. You know, I, I, I don't well, know. That's always been celebrity, man. Before films, you know, that people talked about writers like this, people playwrights, you know, like anything that somebody's good at and can sell, someone else is going to be obsessed about it and create a crazy situation where somehow they are friends with that person so they can feel like they're special too that yeah. has been that way since celebrity first popped up i don't know like fucking shakespeare maybe i don't know but yeah this is this is fascinating i we've i don't think we've ever like really gone into this kind of a thing um i guess it took marlon brando is that what <laughs> i guess yeah it went from brando to just this tirade <laughs> yeah i'm no i'm down with it i like I, I like talking about this stuff i think it's fascinating because like you said i think like everybody at some point is like guilty of kind of just like contributing to it like that mindset of like that you just you're just putting these people on a throne like over and over yeah. and over and putting yourself down like really low you know, like like you're like you're an ant you know and it's like well you can you know you're allowed to like live your own life and not not vicariously through them I've got, you know, my favorite actors. I like, you know, I've got people I look forward to seeing on camera, but I don't have like posters of people. And I don't think like, oh my God, if only I could meet them and shake their hand, my life would be complete. Like, no, I have, I have more value than that. (laughs) That's a great point. Uh, Yeah. It would be funny if we both like had like secretly, I I had like a, a big Jake Gyllenhaal ad for like, Georgie Armani, like in my closet. I'm like, that's that's my contribution to this bullshit. It's like, uh, or, or like those, you know, we, we have like a fucking One Direction uh, Harry Styles Twitter account where like we're just fanboys. God, <laughs> I honestly think it would be hilarious if like I went to your place and like I opened the wrong door and there's just like a Friday the 13th poster. And, oh, well, yeah, like, that, and I just yeah. got to be like, well, what the hell is this? And I find <laughs> out you're just like a closeted horror fan. <laughs> me and me and caleb like talk about it on the side (laughs) 
it's like <laughs> secretly we become really close you know <laughs> well if, if we did secretly become close that probably just ended when i was talking shit earlier <laughs> i find out there's like a 60 episode deep like side podcast you guys have been doing yeah yeah <laughs> that'd be, be so funny but yeah it's just it's i think you know there's a there's a fine line but you got to know which side you're on and just know that you know celebrity and actor are two different things in my opinion mm. and well put I, yeah i i hate celebrity i respect actors yeah me too i respect the ones that yeah that like genuinely make me enjoy the movie more um well, yeah. Let's let's talk about a few people. We'll we'll we'll, we'll properly get into Brando's Oscar resume soon because yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. But uh, Elia Kazan, uh, the director of, of Viva Zapata, a guy who worked with uh, Marlon Brando a few times, um, he won Best Director for Gentleman's Gentleman's Agreement in 1947. Uh, he was nominated again in 1951 for Streetcar Named Desire. Uh, then he was a, a second time winner for On the Waterfront 1954. Uh, and then he was nominated for East of Eden, 1955. Great movie. Uh, and then 1963, he was nominated for screenplay and director for America, America. I've not seen that one yet. Um, that was also up for Best Picture. It's a movie I've always wanted to check out, but I uh, haven't gotten there. Uh, then a few years before he passed away, um, I think he died in 2004, some shit like that. Uh, he, he, he got an honorary award in 1999. Uh, you know, the, the little description is, is quite long, but basically because he had an unparalleled career, you know what I mean? Some, 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 some shit like that, which is fine. It's fair. Yeah. You could say it's true. You could say it's true with uh, Kazan. Uh, he, he turned out some classics, man. And anybody who has a movie like On the Waterfront under their, you know, under their belt, like I'm, I'm good with you. Yeah, I've got a, I love On the Waterfront. I've really got a, Watch a streetcar named Desire and uh, Gentleman's Agreement. I own both of those movies. I should should have seen Gentleman's them. Agreement will definitely come up right at some point on the show. Yeah, it's a winner. Yeah, and then Streetcar I feel like would be a fun episode regardless. Hundred yeah. percent. Fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we've we've uh, we've tapped into like this you know this world you know we tapped into Brando tapped into uh, Kazam with with on the waterfront so. It's kind of kind of familiar territory. Uh, we've also tapped into to, uh, Anthony Quinn. You know this guy. This guy fucking rules, man. He's got two wins for a supporting actor. It would have been really cool if we would have uh, would have had this last week when we did our bracket because I definitely would have thrown him in there. But uh, you know, maybe for next time. Uh, he won for Aviva Zapata, 1952. Uh, he won again in 1956 for Lust for Life. And then he was nominated twice after that for Best Actor in a Lead Role uh, for Wild is the Wind and Alexis Alexis Zorbas. I haven't seen either of those uh, movies. Zorb- that's, Zorbas? That's the Greek title for Zorba the Greek. Okay, I figured. I was like, I was like, where's Zorba the Greek? Okay, that makes sense. Because uh, that's, that's a movie that I think he's, you know, pretty well known for. Uh, he's with Irene Pappas in that movie, which we both, we both like her. She recently passed away. Uh, he's all with Alan Bates as well. I, 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 we need to see that movie. We almost did one like early on, but we we decided to skip it because we weren't. Nah, we we didn't know. We didn't know. We weren't ready. We weren't ready. We weren't and, ready. Uh, we weren't ready for a few films we did early on, but you know we went for it anyway. Uh, <laughs> but here we are. Here we yeah. are tackling Viva Zapata. Uh, Marlon Brando. Okay. Um, it's very rare that someone stacks up 
accolades like he's stacked up and not really give a shit. Uh, very Kurt Cobain of him to just kind of like throw, you know, Kurt Cobain would like famously throw his Grammys into the closet and be like, I don't give a shit. Marlon Brando probably did the same thing with his Oscars. Um, you know, just he wasn't in it for that. You know, he wasn't in it for statues and, you know, whatever. And this weird, weird thing that we attach to fame. You know, the Oscars are very odd the way they like. It's like, well, it's award art, you know, like we, we know it's uh, it's just kind of silly, but Brando got awarded a lot. Brando almost treated his career like he'd lost a bet. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's see how far I can take this before somebody tells me to fuck off. Basically. And no one ever did. Like, literally, he just kept going. And yeah. I can I kind of admire that. Like, if he was playing his own little game, which I totally think he was, that's admirable. I respect that. Me too. Me too. I choose to look at it that way as well. It's just like, it's funner. It's more fun that way. So uh, he was nominated for a streetcar named Desire. 1951. Uh, one year later, he's nominated for Viva Zapata, 1952. The next year, Julius Caesar, 1953. And finally, on his fourth nomination in 1954, he wins for On the Waterfront. Uh, he was nominated again for Sayonara, 1957. So that's five nominations in one decade. Uh, just doesn't happen. The 60s, 60s uh, we don't see anything from him as far as the Oscars go. Um and then he comes back very strong with best actor in a lead role. Big, big win. One of the better lead performance wins we've ever had in this category, the male category. And that's the Godfather, obviously. Don Vito Corleone, you know, just monstrous performance, monstrous character. And a movie we did not that long ago. And boy, is it great. Uh, 1972, Last Tango in Paris. Uh, he's nominated again. We've got to do that movie on this on this show, man. I know it would bring a completely different kind of a kind of a conversation. Yeah, I mean, we're tackling you know Hispanic misrepresentation here. We've uh, we should probably you know tackle like actual sexual assault in a movie, which does not happen very often, thank Christ. But it happened in this movie, and I I want to know why and how this was allowed to even be released. Me too. It's like one of the more controversial films, uh, you know, even for the 70s. It's like it's out there. Uh, I've, I've owned it for a while and I'm like just waiting for the right moment to, to you know, to, to tackle it. It's a Bernardo uh, Bertolucci movie. You have, of course, Brando at front and center. So uh, there's also a screenplay credit from Agnes Varda. And she's like become one of my heroes. So I'm like, yeah, we, we got to Got to see this this fucking movie. And uh, talk about it. So it's it's famously, you know, one of the better, you know, quote unquote, better like NC seventeen movies where it like crosses that line, but it's still, uh, you know, it's it's critically acclaimed. Well, you know, I I think our we're at our best when we're tackling taboo, hard to talk about subjects. I mean, you know, we've we've gone back to Polanski. We talked about Kevin Spacey after all that shit. We're doing this movie now. We're talking about race in Hollywood, like. We we gotten pretty good at balancing that line, and I'm I think we can pull it off with Last Tango in Paris. Yeah, me too. I I don't ever want to shy away from real conversations because I'm you know I'm I'm just a fucking white guy. Like part of my job is to listen and learn and be able to actually have a coherent uh, you know thought process about it. And as a mixed race man, it's my job to point out when you gringos fuck up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a lot. Uh, 
Last last nomination for Brando is a dry white season. Never seen that movie. Uh, best actor in a supporting role in 1989. Uh, that that's it for him, you know. And then the dude the dude keeps living for a little while, and uh, I think he died when he was 80 years old in the early 2000. Yeah, 2004. Uh, and the rest is history, right? He's still very relevant in pop culture and really relevant when it comes to people who love movies. Uh, he's he has an argument for being the goat. When he was filming his last movie, he straight up refused to wear pants. Fuck there you go. That's Marlon Brando. Baller. Just a baller. Yeah, he just didn't give a shit. Could not do that today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, one of the coolest things about Viva Zapata is the the writing credit here. Uh, John Steinbeck. This guy, uh, you know, pretty famous. <laughs> you know. Have you ever heard of a uh, you know Grapes of Wrath? You know, like he, he's he's written some 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 big big time books, big time novels, and uh, has three Oscar nominations. Uh, he's got Lifeboat, nineteen forty four, the original story by 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 Mister Steinbeck, uh, A Medal for Benny, nineteen forty five, also up for original story, and then uh, best screenplay, Viva Spada, nineteen fifty two. Crazy! I didn't even realize he was partially responsible for Lifeboat. That was such a great movie. Yeah, me neither. I had no idea. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool stuff. Yeah, Steinbeck is, you know, one of those guys everyone in high school hates to have to read. Yeah, what's funny is, like, I didn't read anything, like, in high school, and they, like, handed it out. I was like, well, I'm just, I'm just not doing this. <laughs> you know? I'm just, I'd rather listen to Zeppelin, baby. You know? <laughs> uh, I was that that idiot kid who just, like, didn't apply himself ever, and, like, I, I paid for it. <laughs> you go to high school uh, in 1969? Like, what? <laughs> I thought I was. <laughs> I thought, I, I definitely wished I, I was, or thought it was cooler. Uh, watched a lot of Freaks and Geeks, and was like, yeah, like, you know, this <laughs> <laughs> applying yourself is lame. <laughs> oh, that, that's funny. I have changed. Uh, you know, you know, I, I started to love reading once I left high school, you know, and John Steinbeck was one of the first guys. I was like, they were right. <laughs> Those old English teachers were fucking right. You know, um, shout out to Mrs. Waters and Mrs. Ballard. You guys were right. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> when I was um, getting my uh, teaching certificate the first time when I left the program, I shadowed an English teacher at New Braunfels High School, and she was teaching them of mice and men. So I went ahead and was like, I'm going to apply myself. And I read the book to, before we started doing lessons. And Great book. It was a damn good book. It was a really yeah. cool story and just heartbreaking. Uh, I, was still, I still haven't seen the movie with uh, Gary Sinise and John Malkovich. I, keep, I really want to. I, gotta, I, I'm, I still look for it all the time. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. And Malkovich is like, yeah, like, he's perfect for that. Yeah. So I still haven't read The Grapes of Wrath, but excellent. Oh. Okay. But, uh, Great book as well. Yeah, you'd love that book. I'm sure I would. Uh, but it's cool that Steinbeck, you know, I didn't know that back then a lot of, you know, novelists were also writing some films. So, way to go. Yeah, cool. Makes sense, right? You know, you get you get someone who who's already, especially like someone you can put on like, you know, your trailer and your, you know, the, the, the opening credits. It's like, oh, that's a powerhouse name. To just kind of have on have for your movie it's a good way to sell it so yeah john steinbeck was the man um last couple of people i want to talk about the uh, cinematographer and the composer uh cinematography by joseph mcdonald in this movie he was nominated for the young lions in 1958 uh pepe in 1960 and the sand pebbles in 1966 hmm. 
I do like the cinematography, uh, the black and white cinematography in Viva Zapata. I thought a few scenes were like super, super impressive on that front. So I wanted to bring him up. Yeah, I'll give you that. He was doing his job. He was doing good work. Yeah, I got no, you know, no disrespect to the crew or anybody just doing their job here. Uh, yeah, it sucks. I'm sure people have like, you know, blamed the wrong people in, in situations like this. And I, I'm re- I really try hard not to. Yeah, I know, ex- know exactly what you mean. I got to see the sand pebbles. I've, I've, I've heard that's really, really good. Same here, man. That's definitely one I feel like we both both would get a lot out of. Um, the yeah, original yeah. the original Steve McQueen is a guy we really haven't talked about that much. No, we haven't. Uh, I want to say the only time we've really dug into him is probably like the Towering Inferno, and that, I, that might be it. Yeah. We could do like we could do the great escape, which would be oh, such yeah. a great episode. Like he's got some some cool shit. Oh, he does. And he was he was Mr. Cool. You know, he was like one of those cool guys. You know, he's he's right up there with Paul Newman, you know, just kind of like I've got the juice, baby. And uh we don't have a lot of those guys either anymore. Um I guess now it's like Ryan Gosling and you know, which is fine. I love that I love that guy, but come on, Paul Newman. <laughs> Steve McQueen would blow his brains out before he'd star in a Barbie movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Paul Newman would be like, what? You know, there's just no way. Uh, that's that's not happening. I would say Brad Pitt is kind of like, has like that Paul Newman, Robert Redford, like, yeah, I just, I'm cool as shit, you know. Um, Bullet Train would say a little bit otherwise, but uh, for the most part, Brad Pitt's stayed, stayed true to that that kind of, that DNA. Um, all right, last guy, Alex North, the composer. Decent score here for uh, Viva Zapata. Nothing like crazy special, but there are some cool moments. He was nominated for it, uh, but he has 15 nominations. Yeah, he's, he's big time. I, I didn't really know much about him. And then I was like, oh yeah, this is, yeah he's done some big movies. Uh, we have A Streetcar Named Desire, 1951. Death of a Salesman, 1951. Viva Zapata, 1952. The Rose Tattoo, 1955. Unchained, 1955. The Rainmaker, 1956. Spartacus, 1960. Cleopatra, 1963. The Agony and the Ecstasy, 1965. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, 1966. The Shoes of the Fisherman, 1968. Shanks, 1974. Bite the Bullet, 1975. Fucking Dragon Slayer, 1981. And Under the Volcano, 1984. 15 nominations, no wins. So, of course, in 1986, they're like, here's an honorary award. Sorry, buddy. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. So he, he was one of the go-to guys for, like, just, you know, an epic vibe that you know is going to stick around. Yeah. Like, so that's cool. Yeah, good for Alex North. Yeah, he also, um, I, I, was, I was, like, really surprised to see, um, you know, he died in 1981. But in 1987, one of the last things he did was uh, he composed the score for uh, Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> Random. That's beautiful. That's cool. I watched earlier today um, the induction of the uh, the comedy, the stand-up Hall of Fame thing on Netflix. Oh, where they were okay. inducting George Carlin, Robin Williams, Richard Pryor, and Joan Rivers into the hall. And that was just, yeah, Robin Williams segment. Like, goddamn. So energetic, so wild, so fucking funny. Uh, yeah, that was really cool yeah. and touching. I recommend if you haven't checked that out. That's a cool watch. Yeah, I, I have heard about that. Um, I just, I, 
I so rarely get on Netflix. Like <laughs> yeah. it's one of the last it's 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 one of the last things that I'm like I'm just kind of scrolling because I know I'll be on there for two hours before I even watch anything. I'm like, oh, that looks kind of cool, kind of cool, kind of cool. You know, uh, it all looks semi interesting. You know, like half the shit they put out, like the whole Jeffrey Dahmer thing that's like exploded. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Like, ah, I think I'm okay. I think I'm kind of burnt out on the true crime, like deep dives on Netflix. I think I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm good. I'm all for documentaries, but when you start dramatizing it, turning it into, you know, semi-fiction, then you're just being disrespectful unless you are like adhering to the facts and they never fucking do. Yeah. Yeah. And people, people like people, some of my friends are like, Oh, Austin, like you would love it. Like Evan Peters is so committed. I'm like, I, 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 I'm sure you're right. I'm sure I would love his performance. I'm sure I'd get, get some entertainment out of it. But when I read there's specific scenes in the show where they didn't ask the family for permission to bring up that trauma. Oh, Jesus. And I hear there's a specific scene between, um, between Dahmer and and another person, like in a court scene and the woman, you know, loses her mind and she fucking starts screaming at him. It's a famous, 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 uh, you know, footage from that era. And uh, her cousin came out and was like, you like, y'all didn't ask us. Like you didn't ask any one of us that's like related to one of the boys that got tortured and, you know, and murdered. Like you didn't ask us if we, if we wanted to relive that, you just did it. It's like, yeah, that, that doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't, doesn't sit right. Fuck that, that series. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's yeah, when just, I read, that's horrible. Yeah. When I read that, I was like, that sucks for that family. Like they just got to deal with that shit. I'm like that sucks. Yeah. If I, you know, if I, if I knew somebody, somebody close to me was a victim of a serial killer and then they end up as a character in a TV show about that guy and nobody fucking told me about it. Yeah. I'd be incredibly pissed and hurt. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I read that on, on like Indie wires, Instagram, like they put up a, you know, put up a little thing. And like, this guy has this whole quote about like, like what the hell, like y'all didn't, you're not paying us. You're not like asking us. Like that's our cousin. You know, that's our, that's our, and, and like somebody's sister, that's somebody's daughter. And I was reading the comments because I was initially like, oh, that's fucked up. You know, like that's dark. That's a different kind of dark. And there's people in the comments are like, just don't watch it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's even darker. Like, like the fans of this show. It's like, you're first of all, you realize what you're calling yourself a fan of? (laughs) Like, You know, it's it's like there's layers to that show. And I'm like, I'd rather not get into it. I think I'm just going to leave it over there. This isn't Hannibal Lecter. This isn't some, you know, creepy boogeyman. This is a man who existed and murdered innocent people and yeah. been, is being glorified like this. Like Weird. all these people have this happen. Like they become like pop culture. It's so fucked up. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. That that weird reverence. It's I don't get I don't get that, man. Yeah, I understand like a fascination reading about them or hearing yeah. stuff about them. Like I, I understand that like knowledge stuff, you know, yeah. like times like time suck is like such a fascinating way to break things down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to glorify and be like, like the like, like, it feels like like Ted Bundy and Dahmer and like Manson. They get like this weird, almost like approval. It's like what? Like, yeah. Oh, weird. That's why I love Time Suck because like while he's telling the like the factual story of how this all happened, he's also just repeatedly shitting on the bad guy and just calling him an idiot or a monster or a douchebag and just taking the power away from him. And I love that he does that. And he always yeah. names every single victim and tells their stories. And that is important. 
I wholeheartedly agree. So yeah, uh, I don't think we're going to be watching that show. I don't intend to. No, <laughs> that started with uh, you were talking about on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> how did that even? How did the even Netflix uh, Comedy Hall of Fame. Thing. Yes. Okay, I need to watch that because I that that'll make me smile and and have a good time. Yeah, it's John Stewart inducts George Carlin. Uh, Chelsea Handler inducts Joan Rivers. John Mulaney in- inducts Robin Williams. And Dave Chappelle inducts Richard Fryer. Oh, and oh, Jeff Christ. Ross does the In Memoriam, which is very touching. Wow. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, how long is it? Like, what is it like episodes or like, no, a- it's like an hour? Wow. Yeah. That's it's special. Great. It's great. That's special. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to get to that. Um, I gotta like write it down, you know, because uh, <laughs> I, I, I forget stuff like so easily because I'm like, oh yeah, but this thing that I don't want to watch, you know, <laughs> that sounds really cool though. I love stuff like that, like honoring history and legacy. Yeah. Uh, well, man, I'm ready to get some awards here if you're down. Yeah, this is a very interesting episode. <laughs> yeah, it's all over the place. I'm I, I'm in for it. It's like we're we need one of these every once in a while where we just get to kind of kind of just banter. Uh, this is good fun. Yeah, just unpack a lot of like shit that's been bothering us in the entertainment industry once in a while <laughs> yeah yeah there's not really uh you know i feel like oscar sunday it, it's uh we do like to open up to, to these kinds of discussions because we we realize it, we realize how important it is you know you and i part of our friendship is is these kinds of conversations like the the at large big picture um thing about movies you know like understanding that the industry that we support over and over yeah is full of fucking snakes you know like it's it's good it's good to know that (laughs) yeah absolutely be prepared with what you're you know idolizing here (laughs) yeah exactly so i am i I am excited to hear your awards for this movie you know i i think you liked it a little bit more than i did but you you know we both have our 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 quandaries with it um we have our quentin tarantino award for the best quote there's some there's some good stuff here good screenplay the Ennio Morricone for the uh, best music moment. Decent score from Alex North, you know, nothing like crazy, but it's, it's solid. Yeah. Uh, then we have the Philip Zimmer Hoffman Award, which for me was was a no-brainer. And then the uh, Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie. I'll let you take it away whenever you're ready. So my Tarantino comes from the scene where... Uh, Emiliano is now acting president of Mexico and he yes. looks so uncomfortable in that suit and tie. It's totally not who he is. And the farmers come asking him for help because his brother has taken their land and they're like, we need your help to get it back. And he has to think this through. And he ultimately tells them, Oh no, wait, this is not from this scene. This is later on when he goes to confront his brother mm. and The farmers are like, well, what do we do? And this is what he tells them. Okay. He says, this land is yours, but you must protect it. It won't be yours long if you don't protect it. If necessary, with your lives and your children with their lives. Don't discount your enemies. They will be back. And if your house is burned, build it again. If your corn is destroyed, replant. If your children die, bear more. Eh, I don't know about that one. If they (laughs) drive you out of the valley, live on the mountain, but live. You always look for leaders, strong men without faults. There aren't any. There are only men like yourselves. They change, they desert, they die. There are no leaders but yourselves. A strong people is the only lasting strength. Uh, that is an incredibly socialist thing to say in 1952. 
<laughs> very much so. Yeah. And then you break it, you break it down. To, uh, what is it like 1910 when he's probably saying that? You yeah. Know, I, or, I, I, he died in what? 1918, 1919. 19, I, I want to say 1919. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's, it's in the early 1900s here. Or we're talking yeah. about a, a mindset that people now can't even fathom which is crazy. Yeah. There's, you know, help each other out is such a fucking alien concept to this country that you can put it in a movie in 1952. And a lot of people aren't going to realize like, wait a minute, isn't that what we shouldn't be saying? I mean, this is the cold war, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I I always love finding these gems, these nuggets of info or like, you know, very liberal screenwriters snuck a little, (laughs) a little, a little red, into their into their screenplay and nobody caught it yeah yeah isn't that isn't that that's like what it, that's like what writing is for is to be able to like pour those thoughts and those those beliefs and like stand up for what's right and that is the coolest part about zapata is like that he represents this rebellion and this this rebellion and this revolution and still to this day you know like like there's raging the machine talks about him you know and like they're in, in some of their songs like there's that that carryover, that like influence that he has. And so like of course I, I went into this movie thinking the best part will probably be the screenplay. There's probably gonna be some kick-ass shit. And there was. There was some good stuff. I I had this is the one I probably had the, the hardest time picking. The other ones were like, oh, okay, like that something really stood out. I mean, I love so much of Anthony Quinn's delivery, you know. I one of my favorite things he does is when he just screams at everybody, boys! general zapata you know just that crazy voice or when he's he's kind of drunk and he's like i love you but i do not like you (laughs) and you're like how many cigarettes did you smoke today you know like he has that that thing that you just can't (laughs) nobody else has that thing in his throat and his voice um is super impressive and it was hard because i i loved everything he said you know like delivery is is everything you know with, with uh with 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 Anthony Quinn and he's so good at it. Um, but I also connected with what you shows, you know, I, I wrote down <laughs> on my paper. I always write stuff down. I wrote down cause I'm not going to write down the whole goddamn speech, you know? So I wrote down, I wrote down long speech from, from, from Brando. Then I wrote down Quinn one liners, <laughs> you know, like the, that, that's just the best, but if I really had to choose like one of from the movie that like represented something that like lasts with it, it's, it's at the end when, um, when Zapata dies and uh, the old general says, sometimes a dead man can be a terrible enemy. <laughs> oh man. Cause and I started thinking about people like important, iconic, you know, um, leaders, you know, uh, w- when they pass away. Sure. That's that that sucks but it typically lights a fire under people's ass um you know i started thinking about fred hampton uh and i was like he knew the whole time i'm going to die but when i do everything i did will be so worth it for these people that follow me and i was like that's kind of applies to zapata like he was doing it he knew like one day this is gonna be over like, i'm i can't the way I'm living, I'm living like a fucking gangster right now. Like I can't do this forever, but it's not going to stop me from doing the right thing for people, for human beings. 
for, you know, for my brothers, for my sisters. And that's like the coolest thing about Zapata as like a legend, as a, as an icon. And so when he says that, he's like, yeah, you may have killed him, but like, don't show about this. Like those people will come back for your ass. You know, if you, if you don't do this the right way. And uh, I thought that was such a cool line to kind of like almost finish the movie with. And uh, yeah, that, that scene is, a, uh, that scene was impactful. Oh yeah. The only thing a tyrannical government hates more than a revolutionary is a martyr. And exactly. You make that happen. There's no way you can lose. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful that's, stuff. That's nice. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It's powerful stuff, but I, but yeah, man, you know, uh, it, that compared the Quinn one liner, he's just on fire in this movie, you know, and I, you know, you can't go wrong. You really can't. Uh, he is such a fascinating like if he hadn't found movies, I think he would have gotten in a bar fight and ended up committed to a mental hospital screaming at the ghost of his 12 year old self. I believe you. I believe you. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we have this knowledge of him. You know, we have, we have this legacy that like he can be remembered by. Uh, yeah. He's, he's lights out in this movie. Um, and your Morricone award, best music moment. This was the hardest one for me because, like you said, you know, it's a good score, but it's not exactly yeah. an amazing score. That's fair. I chose a bit of music when um, Zapata is talking to uh, Madero. And all of a sudden, you find out that uh, Madero's general, Huerta, has led a coup and is on his way to go kill Zapata. And Zapata's like, well, I guess I got to deal with this now. And he gets his people together and they go off to face Huerta. And the music that's playing, you get this impending sense of dread and betrayal, mm. like the fight that everyone thought was over has only just begun. Mm. And that was, I, I like that. I like that vibe of like, someone's not coming back from this. Mm. And yeah, it, it pays off. It's the fight that just keeps on going because this, you know, everyone who thinks they're going to be the revolutionary who changes things, once they sit in that seat, they're just like the last guy every time. Yep. Yeah. Just another fucking politician. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, yeah there's, there's not enough cool people who end up in that position. You know, that's just another reason why Zapata's uh, a cool guy. You know, it's, he, he wanted to keep trying. Uh, my, my NEO goes to when Anthony Quinn dies. Um, just ugh, fucking suck. You knew it was coming, you know, you know, you, a lot of this movie is like foreshadowing and you can like tell when stuff is going to happen and you're like, Oh fuck, you know, but it's inevitable. It's history. It's the way, way things went down. And I just thought that was really powerful because it's, it's sad it's brothers, like a brother leaving a brother and not just that, but a, a powerful, a, a powerful person to have on your side. You know, it's kind of like, if you're going to go into a fight, you probably want Anthony Quinn with you. Sure. as Shit. Don't want him against you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I called that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a poignant moment. It was entirely his own goddamn fault, but he's yeah. one of those guys that, you know, if you're not, like he, he has to fight cause that's all he's got. Oh, there he's sunny. He's sunny Corleone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's, you know, I, I was thinking of um, Robert Baratheon from game of Thrones. Like, yep. You were the, you were the war hero and then the war is over. And now you are the, the fat bloated like aftermath. Yeah, like now you're no, now you got nothing. The respect yeah. is gone unless you have a sword or a gun in your hand. And yeah, you just knew his story wasn't going to end well. But, no, and he was time. 
it felt like like a suicide by cop vibe of like he knew what he was getting into when he took that place. He knew that if they if he took their land, they were going to try to kill him. And I think he just didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm not pulling the trigger myself, but, you know, I'm going to go out like a warrior. Yeah. It's like when Jeremy Renner leaves uh, Fenway Park and uh, he's like, I'm not. Yeah. This. Yeah. I'm. I'm not going to stop trying. But um, yeah, I'm about to die. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, all right. Phillips Merhoffen Awards. For me, this was a no-brainer, but uh, what do you got? I would be the world's biggest goddamn hypocrite if I gave this to Marlon Brando. So I won't. I'm giving this to Anthony Quinn. Yeah, me too. You're like, hands down. He, 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 this is the definition of a, of a, of a supporting, like a perfect supporting performance. He's in a lot of it, but he's not the main guy. But every time he's there, you're like, I'm looking at him. Well, he pours so much of his own pain into this. I mean, not just, you know, his family's up, like, you know, his family's involvement in this actual conflict, but also, you know, growing up as a, you know, Mexican-American child, kind of alienated from both sides, you know, not white Mm. enough, not Hispanic enough. And, uh, also not getting the role, you know, Brando kind of upstaging him. He took that and he poured that into this too. That's this anger, this rage, this second fiddle little brother shit that he has felt his whole life. He brought that into this and you just bought it. You felt every ounce of his frustration and his rage and his like, just, you know, desire to whore it up. Like he just, he, he loved life, but life didn't love him. Mm, Well put. Yeah. It was a well great played. performance. Very well earned. I'm glad he got the Oscar. Yeah, me too. I definitely would have put him in the tournament last week if we yeah. had him. You know, uh, like he, he 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 he's like worth it. He's worth that that statue. He's you know that that uh, and he has two of them. So I want to see that other one now. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Everything I've seen him in, I he's pretty much my favorite my favorite thing about everything I've seen him in. Uh, I'm I'm falling in love with the guy. You know, like his his. Craft is something to behold. Um, all right. Roger Deakins Award. Best scene of the movie. What did you pick? <laughs> this changed a couple times. I kept finding new new stuff that I was like, oh, that's way better. Oh, that's way better. Um, ultimately, it was the scene I uh, wrongly referenced earlier where Zapata is acting president and the farmers come to complain to him. Because that moment, that scene perfectly mirrors Emiliano's first meeting with Diaz where he was the Ah. complaining farmer and Diaz was like, what's your name? And as soon as Emiliano said that to the one guy, he had that moment of clarity of like, what have I become? Yeah. He's like, I am not Diaz. I am not a dictator. I am not a ruler. I am a farmer and these men need help. Yeah. And that's the difference between him and him. Yeah. 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 It was a great moment of just like, you know, you could see it in his eyes. Like, this is not what I thought. This is not how this was supposed to end. And I just love that where he just goes back into the other room, comes back with his gun and his hat and is like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I respected ass. the hell out of that. I thought that was really cool. And I thought it would have been a million times more cool if that had been, you know, Anthony Quinn doing that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that it would have been my Deacons if it would have been Anthony Quinn. <laughs> but my, my, my Deacons does involve, does involve uh, is, uh, Brando. Um, it's, it's the end. It's the finale. It's when he dies. Um, it's not so much about Brando's performance. It's about like what Zapata represents and the lengths that these people are going to, to, to take him down. You know, it takes 
a hundred guns to take this guy down. You know, he, he really feels like a, like a, like he's a giant lion and everybody's like, we have to attack that at the same time, make sure he's not breathing. You know, it's that kind of a, uh, execution, you know? And so cinematically it, it gets loud. You know, I, when I was watching on, on my TV, I was like, God damn, you know, just, bah, 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 just guns all over the place going off, killing this one, this one dude. And if that doesn't speak volumes of what he, like what a man Zapata is compared to all these little boys that have to team up and kill him, you know, it's like, it doesn't speak volumes of like what he represented and like what he meant to, to scaring the norm and scaring the people that wanted to control everything. It, it's, it's a, it's a timeless, a timeless type of storytelling, you know, it's, Here's a guy who's willing to challenge the powers that be and lead people and get them to actually believe that, hey, there's more of us. If we can outnumber them, we can take the power back, you know, and bring it back to Rage Against the Machine. Take the power back, you know, like, like that's I, I've always, of course, I've always been obsessed with that idea of, you know, I, th- I think all of us are like the hopeless side of all of us is like, I, I wish I wish like it there weren't people making decisions for me. You know, like that's, that's never going to end. So when you put that in movies, it, it, it can give you chills and you can be like, oh man, like what if we had a Zapata, you know, like what if, what if modern America had someone who's really willing to just step up and be like, fuck you. And like, and lead us. And like, we actually followed more like, actually like I'll drop my life. I'll drop all this horse shit that's around me, you know, like fucking, you know, working these, you know, working these nine to five, 40 hour a week jobs. Like, what are we doing? You know, like, what are we all doing? We're all like withering and wasting away. So I always love when movies use that and use it to like inspire you. Um, and even if you, even if you're inspired for a moment, then you go back to your normal life. That's like what I, what I did, you know, yeah. that's like, I don't know what else to do, but I can still look up to these people. Yeah. You know, America did have, revolutionaries like that and they were all killed in the 60s yeah basically yeah. 60s were not a were not a nice time to our our greatest civilians we're oh. we're, we're, we're all annexed anytime anyone threatens the status quo they're killed by the powers that be that's just the way it works and that's that's a damn shame but you know like brando said in this movie and i really hope emiliano said in real life we can be our own leaders we can respect ourselves. We can find power in our, in each other. And I firmly believe that we just don't have like people aren't strong enough to care about one another like that yet. And I don't know if we ever will be, especially in this country. Yeah. Especially yeah, where we're at, you got, you got people who are so scared to not be comfortable all the time. They're so scared to share with somebody that they don't know or, and all it takes is a conversation. All it takes is perspective and mm. can change everything. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to have these conversations uh, with yourself, you know? So when you're watching these movies or you're, you're reading these you know, kinds of stories about someone who really tried, it's like, let it, let it get into you. Let it inspire you. Let it sink in and, you know, look yourself in the mirror and be like, what the fuck am I doing yeah. to help the people around me, you know? Am I just am I just going with the flow like everybody? And I'm just one day I'm just gonna die and nobody's gonna give a shit. The people around you should have nice things to say about you when you die. 
Like that's, that's, that's the code you should live by. You know, like you should, whatever your kids or your, your parents or siblings, whatever it is, they should be like, yeah, like they made me better. You know, like the, you should, that should happen. <laughs> I once heard somewhere that like all life is, is just gathering up the most amount of people to show up at your funeral. And I, I don't remember who said that, but that stuck with me for years. Yeah. Like, what do you want? Like two people, one of which got hired to be there. Or do you want like, you know, a crowd of people who remembered you and are going to yeah. continue to remember you. And yeah, I, that's important. Yeah. Not just because you're some famous rapper or something, but because like the people who met you were like infected by your, whatever it is, your kindness or your bravery, your, uh, your generosity something we all have one special thing <laughs> i'm gonna reference boogie nights as many times as i can <laughs> ah, well of all things i can tell you i probably won't be remembered for that <laughs> uh, <laughs> fuck you dark diggler yeah <laughs> you're making us all look bad yeah um, it was I had, aesthetic <laughs> i had a fo- i had a uh, follow-up scene i almost went with and that was okay. when um Madero is executed. Mm, yeah, that's uh, a good scene. That was creepy. The way that was that played out, like you knew, like the second you know you hear the president's been locked away in the presidential palace, you're like, oh boy, yeah, the generals are talking to each other right now. Yeah, and when they come to get him, and then they just like drop him in the street, surrounded by soldiers, and Madero slowly realizing what's about to happen, and then he lets out that like ungodly shriek before they just blow him away. That freaked me out. Yeah. Of the man realizing, like, there's no way out, and he was absolutely terrified. And then Huerta's just like, yeah. pack it up. I got somewhere to be. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Good God. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, good shout. So, yeah, maybe, maybe a seven is the right way to look at this movie. Maybe I was a little too harsh. Um, cause I feel like there are four or five scenes that I was like, yeah, that was, that was good stuff. That's the thing. I don't like to condemn anything for you know one bad quality no matter how bad it is i'm sure there's always something else to look at and with this movie it was you know i could just look at brando and say like i will not support this movie i don't i don't like what they did with that but then i'm completely ignoring anthony quinn's contribution to this i'm completely ignoring the the screenplay the many excitable scenes the really good ending and that's just not fair to anybody that's yeah that's a good point i love that I think I think we're on the same page with that. You know, we we watch a lot of movies and, uh, for for these shows, and you start to realize, you know, it's 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 not the same as it once was. You know, <laughs> like times times have changed. We have gotten better in some senses, very slowly. <laughs> it's true, but some stuff is just being straight up ignored. And yeah. frankly, you know, Hispanic representation is one of those things. It is. It's like not. Um, What's the like? It's not cool to like bring that up. You know, it's not like, oh yeah, like fucking this part of our history isn't like the the topic. You know, yeah. it sh- it should be. Literally, right now, James Franco was cast as Fidel Castro. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. What the fuck? I mean, you know, I think it was John Leguizamo who went ape shit on that and was like, "Are you kidding me?" And I'm so yeah. glad he did because nobody else did. 
yeah, everybody's else is just like, I just want to stay in my nice house and uh, be, co- be cozy, you know? It's like, fuck off. Stand up for something, goddammit. <laughs> be, a, be, a, be a Zapata. Don't be a Franco. <laughs> Damn right. That's good. Uh, that's yeah. great. Oh, I love it. Um, the, the, five, the five categories we're going to talk about here. Uh, best music. Uh, best scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture is like the technical, you know, category. Really weird. Uh, best art direction, black and white. Best story and screenplay. Best actor in a lead role, and then the uh, the lone win is uh, best actor in a supporting role. So we'll start with probably uh, we'll do best music here. Um, I feel like I feel like you know. Of course, we have High Noon as the winner. Of course, we've talked about that movie. Have we talked about this Miklos Rosa guy before? I feel like oh, we have. Oh yeah, we've well, talked well, what about was it? What uh, was it? I want to say Spellbound. Ah, uh, that might be it. That might be it. Yeah, three Oscars for Spellbound. Yep. Okay, that was it. What's the other stuff? Obviously, uh, he won. He had uh, <laughs> where was it? Seventeen nominations, three wins for Spellbound, A Double Life, and Ben Hur. Jesus. Oh yeah. Okay. Heavy hitter. I was going to say, I know we've brought him up before. He's one of those big time guys. He comes up a lot in this, in the prep. Whenever we got a showdown, he's usually the the, behind the score. One of these pre. Yeah. Yeah. This movie I've never heard of. Ivan, Ivanhoe. What what is that? Ivanhoe. Yeah. That's a historical epic. I think, uh, yeah. Robert Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor, Joan Fontaine, George Sanders. Jesus. Ooh, based on the historical novel. I knew I'd heard the name before. Walter okay. Scott. Okay. Yeah, okay. that might be a fun yeah. watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm, in on, I'm in on that. You know, Miklos is, is the man. Uh, you got Max Steiner, also up for a Miracle of Fatima. Uh, Herschel Burke Gilbert, up for The Thief. Not Thief from 1981. The Thief <laughs> from 1952. <laughs> and then Alex North for Viva Zapata. So, um it's yeah, it's some guys we we definitely have have now gained uh, some sort of you know somewhere in the back of my mind. I'm like I I know these guys. <laughs> it's nice to have the names stick, and then you're like you can just pull that out. Like oh, he did the score for Spellbound and Ben Hur. Like yeah, <laughs> that's that's part of the whole thing, right? It's like that the gaining that little knowledge. Um, sure. Best art direction, black and white. Uh, we got another movie we both like here. Uh, the the winner is The Bad and the Beautiful. Uh, it beat Carrie. My cousin Rachel, Rashomon, and Viva Sabata. Rashomon, of course, is a movie we've also done. I I didn't realize this was a part of this ceremony. That movie came out in 1950, but because you know, foreign language films would take like nine years to come out over here, uh, and they only they only matter when they come out over here. So, <laughs> you know, uh, that's weird. I would have sworn we, I would have sworn it was a different different uh, ceremony. All it takes is one studio executive who just has a little bit of interest in something that didn't happen in this country. It's all it takes. Yeah, damn it. it's true. It's true. It's fucking sad, but it's true. But that movie kicks ass, right? Rush him on. Uh, we did that a long time ago. I mean, like a hundred episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, that was my straight up introduction to Akira Kurosawa. And uh, never looked back. That was, I believe I watched for prep as, alongside Rashomon. I watched Seven Samurai and the hidden fortress. Yeah, both of us watched all three of those for the first time that week. And what the like, hell were we thinking? 
I, I remember just being like, I, uh, I'm not worthy. <laughs> I'm not worthy of, you know, my eyes were twitching. You know, I'm like, I, I, I really, really like Rashomon. I like Hidden Fortress a lot. I think one day down the road, I need to watch Seven Samurai again. Cause I, I, I think it went over my head. Maybe I, I don't know. Cause, cause it's so fucking like massive, you know, so critically acclaimed. And I was like, that was good, but the only like way four hours, I think the only way we're going to get into that movie, we need to rent out a theater and we need to watch seven samurai uninterrupted phones off inter- intermission, but no distractions and just invest. And I think if we do that, we will, we will get it. I think I agree with you. I think it's one of those, you gotta, you gotta find it at the right time. I think it's yeah. one, of the, one of those, one of those massive old foreign films that says I, I refuse to believe that it's boring. I, ref- I, I am 100% sure it is me. Yeah, same. We both, I think I gave it like four stars on Letterboxd, so like, like an eight out of 10. But people were like, no, 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 that's like a surefire 10 out of 10. And I'm like, okay. I, uh, I gave it a I seven. Do? Yeah, hey, hey, there you go. You know, maybe. maybe I don't feel good day. about that. I don't feel good about that. <laughs> uh, okay, so I found, out, I found out the problem here. Rushamon. At the 24th Academy Awards the year before, it got an honorary award. So it's at two different ceremonies. One for an honorary and one for best art direction. It'd be weird Stupid. if we still did that. We just had one movie that just keeps popping up every year. Yeah, that, that happened with, uh, with foreign films all the time back then. It like pisses me off because I'm like, if I want to use this for the show, I'm like, which ceremony are we... <laughs> are we going to you know uh, that happened with a uh, day for night francois uh, truffaut uh, we had to go to like two different ceremonies which is not like a lot of work or anything but it's just annoying yeah it's unnecessary yeah the movie comes it's out just... in 1973 it came out in 1973 there's that's it yeah yes and you know i was i was finding out more and more i was looking up so I was doing this project on my own about like what if i could redo the best picture category completely and have you know it's too much to talk about right now but I was finding out that so many movies that I thought came out, you know, like in 2012, technically that was like their festival date or whatever, or that's when they came out overseas. And so like, really they came out in February of 2013 or whatever. And I'm like, that like that completely ruins my whole idea. Cause I'm like, I have all these movies written down. And it's like, actually Francis Ha didn't come out in 2012. It came out like in March of 2013. And I'm like, Oh, well, so it's a 2013 movie now. Like I, I always, I always looked at that movie as like that one and the master, are like my two favorite movies from 2012. Not anymore. <laughs> you know? And like those little things blow my mind. Cause I'm always thinking about stuff like that. And here I am just uh, getting my, my day ruined for stupid reasons. <laughs> You're not alone. I, that has bothered me for years and I've never yeah. understood why. And I think about that quite a lot. Yeah, just like look at me, little little ant, little jackass Austin, just wasting <laughs> wasting his fucking energy on being angry. Uh, <laughs> let's move to the best screenplay. Uh, this is always a, a category that we both love. I've been lately. I've been wanting to do some kind of massive screenplay project, like a like a tournament, like we did last week with like our like best screenplay, our, best original screenplay winners, like uh, going toe to toe. Yes, because. Uh, I, I listened back to our I'll, I'll, I'll say it I listened back to our supporting actor tournament and I was like this is awesome like this is the kind of stuff I want to do for the rest of my life is is having having those kind of just fun 
conversations about people that we love doing things we love. Like that's the, the reason we started all of this, you know, and it's like good to get back to that every now and again. Um, so screenplay, this is some of, you know, some of our favorite shit. So why not, why not do a tournament uh, at the 25th Academy Awards? The Lavender Hill mob won this award. Uh, that's T E B Clark credited with the screenplay uh, beat Sydney Boehm, Boehm, Bame. I don't really know how you'd say that. Boom. Boom. Uh, the Atomic City. Uh, Terrence Radigan for Breaking the Sound Barrier. Uh, Ruth Gordon and Garson Kanine for Pat and Mike. And then John Steinbeck for Viva Zapata. How intimidated do you think everybody was in that category when they saw they were up against John fucking Steinbeck? Yeah, they're like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh that guy's here. Yeah, and he's just hammered at the ceremony. Like, oh. <laughs> Oh yeah. man, that's awesome. I haven't, I haven't seen the rest of these films. I got I don't really have anything to say. Uh, me neither. I think on the other side of this though, for best adapted screenplay, I cannot believe Carl Foreman didn't win that for High Noon. Oh yeah. I remember when we did High Noon, we were like, this should just win everything. <laughs> you know? It it's is that good. It's such an incredible movie. And after reading a book about the production, I just everything Carl went through with that. With you know getting kicked off production, getting blacklisted by Huac, and just getting all of his friends, like all of his friends, just alienated him. Just said like, oh, I don't know him at all, and just uh, you know exiled him. And then for him to get an Oscar nomination, it would have been great if he gotten to go up on that stage and basically say "fuck you" to all of Hollywood. That would have yeah. been awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah, God, High Noon kicks ass. I think, I think when we did that, or or I feel like recently I was looking at my letterbox and I. Like, that's a, that should be a ten. I need to move that movie up to a ten. A five, it's five stars. Like the more I think about it, the more it gets brought up. I'm like, that movie's perfect, and I just need to accept it. <laughs> you know, love it. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, love that one. Now this next uh, category, I agree with. Uh, you have Gary Cooper for best actor getting the win for High Noon. He beats. This is a cool group. Uh, Marlon Brando for Viva Zapata. Kirk Douglas for The Bad and the Beautiful. Alec Guinness for the Lavender Hill Mob. I want to see that movie. That's that's that one sounds kind of interesting. And then uh, Jose Ferrer is that how you say his name? Yes, right. I've yeah, I've, uh, obviously I've heard of him, but uh, don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about him. And uh, for Moulin Rouge, never seen that one. Yeah, Jose Ferrer actually one of uh, Anthony Quinn's uh, idols got him, helped him get Makes sense. start. Makes sense. And you know, father of Miguel Ferrer, who we yeah. all remember from a lot of David Lynch crazy shit. Yeah, he's awesome. And traffic. <laughs> yeah, and traffic. Uh, but yeah, Gary Cooper in High Noon is flawless. Just this, you know, man's man brought to the brink of, you know, alienated by his friends and neighbors. Sound familiar? Carl Foreman. Yeah. And uh, just having to face, you know, the devil on his own. He pulls it off and basically says, thanks a bunch, everybody, and leaves. It's It's perfect. It's a whole movie, just him trying to get some help. It's yeah. Oh, I love High Noon. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. <laughs> yeah, oh, and that movie, the movie's brilliant. Gary Cooper is the only person who stood by Carl Foreman, the only person who said like I got your back, and he maintained that through the entire production. Stanley Kramer said fuck off. Fred Zinneman was like I can't be bothered. Gary Cooper's like I've already been kicked out of this industry one time. What what's the second time? I got your back, Carl. 
it was awesome. They remained friends, like, I think, till like, one of them died. Yeah, I got you, Carl. It's going to be fine. Gary Cooper is, from what everything I've read, seems like a guy that I, that that you can get behind, you know? He was a man's man. He stood by his friends, and he slept his way through classic Hollywood like nobody's business. He fucked everybody. <laughs> I bet he has some amazing story or had some amazing, amazing stories, you know? Um, God, yeah. He's, what, one what of my, he's one of my heroes. <laughs> Gary Cooper's one of my heroes. <laughs> oh, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the man. And High Noon is is his, you know, it's his baby. That's the one that will always people will always remember him for. Well, people like us, you know. <laughs> not just not just your general general guy off the street. Um, last category, best actor in a supporting role. This also is an interesting group. We have Anthony Quinn with the win for Viva Zapata. Uh, you got Richard Burton for My Cousin Rachel, big big time guy. Arthur Honeycutt for The Big Sky. What a cool last name. Oh, I bet he uh, got teased big time. There's a lot of ways to make that funny. It, it, there is. And then you be, you become a, an adult and you're like, I'm going to embrace this. <laughs> you know, uh, that's great. Victor McLaglen for uh, The Quiet Man. Not my favorite movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And then Jack Plants for Sudden Fear. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good group. Yeah. You know, The Quiet Man. One of the few John Waynes where I was like, you know what? This is pretty good. It's and, better than most of them. Yeah. That'll well, give he's, just, he's just not, you know, a cowboy who's like an ex-soldier or like the greatest shot on earth. He's just a dude who's haunted by his demons who marries a fiery Irish woman. Like, finally, something else. <laughs> something different. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. That's uh, a way we remember him, you know, it's, well, we did that whole episode where we watched a shit ton of his movies. That was a long, long time ago. And I was like, after that, I was like, I'm good. Like forever. I, I, don't, ever, I don't ever need to go back to this guy's filmography. He's just not my kind of actor. Um, just don't <laughs> care. I just don't care. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of I don't care. Before we get out of here. Um, are you going to watch? What's that fucking blonde? Are you going to watch Blonde on Netflix? I am not. I I've been reading looks, about this thing. It looks I, boring as fuck. Well, just how disrespectful. I mean, it basically just show. You know, it's it's a reenactment of Marilyn Monroe's life in like a way where it just paints her as a whore who's just passed around from by famous people, and that's just incredibly disrespectful to her memory as you know a human being. I mean, just what, you know, my week with Marilyn may not have been entirely accurate, but at least it, it was respectful. Yeah, it's a decent flick. Yeah. yeah. This is just like, I hear there's like a, an actual like, like blowjob scene that got the movie a, like an NC-17 rating where she's just sucking off JFK and crying. It's like, do we need that? I don't need to see that. I definitely don't need to see that. Um, and this might be an unpopular opinion. Ana de Armas. Are, are we sure? Are we sure she should be playing Marilyn Monroe? Oh, like, okay, I'm glad you brought this up. Because, <laughs> I, like, look, I think she's, I think she's got something really, like, really unique, and I think she's really good in the, the latest James Bond. And I thought she was good in Knives Out. She like just learned English like eight years ago, and I'm all for like opportunities being being for everybody and whatnot. But like the clips I've seen of the movie 
I'm like, I can like hear her at her Cuban accent. And this is Marilyn Monroe, the like whitest blonde, like American lady of all time. I'm all I'm all for like people going above and beyond and like trying stuff as an actor. That's like that's your fucking job. But it's like, all right, if we're making a Marilyn Monroe movie, like let's go ahead and make a Marilyn Monroe movie. And I, I, I don't know. I my my brother watched it. Uh, Adam, uh, you know him. He's like, he's like, yeah, I watched 20 minutes, and then after that, I just had it on. I was on my phone the rest of the time. <laughs> you know, like, it's one of those second screen. Just like it's it just looks really boring. I don't know. I might watch it because I feel like it might get some random Oscar nomination, but we'll see. It's getting panned. It's getting it's getting eviscerated. Letterbox has not been kind to it. I am all for opportunity as well. However, when you're portraying real people, when you're mm. claiming to be a biopic, don't you know? Don't do that. I think you know. Like take a you know, being the Ricardos, because that keeps coming up lately. Um, imagine, like, you know, Tom Cruise playing Desi Arnaz. Would that would that piss people off? I think it would. And Yeah, yeah. I think Ana de Armas, you know, this is pretty much the reverse of what my thesis is. Like, this is, like, any, you know, this kind of vibe of, like, oh, you know, it's just an actor. Anybody can play anybody. Like, I don't know about that. Like, and I think that acting like that's, you know, not weird is a whole different level of disrespectful. So, you know, yeah, okay. There, it's hard to kind of say what we want to say here without sounding like assholes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not trying to be like, fuck you, Ana de Armas. Like, she's doing her job. She's like, she's making money. You know, she's doing her thing. I'm just like, of, of all, you know, it's, it's Marilyn Monroe. It's not just like some schmuck. Like she's she's like one of the only people from that era like that people still talk about. If you're gonna like go for it, like fucking go for it. Like for example, Austin Butler as Elvis, like that like worked. He like did a good job. People were like it, it, like he like you know sounded like him and looked like him or whatever. Like cool. Like that's the point of like casting somebody for a biopic. Like you said about someone who's real. Now can can Ana de Armas play some lady named? you know, Ashley Jones and like happens to be like a white girl. Sure. And like a fictional movie. Sure. I don't care. Like that wouldn't matter to me. You know what I mean? If she's just pops up in some movie that's written by some guy in his garage, you know, like fine. Like if she, if she pops up in some Tarantino movie down the line and isn't, you know, a Cuban character, I don't care about that. People have done that forever. Like that's, that's part of that that it that can be part of acting but i think you hit the nail on the head with when it's a biopic like yeah i don't want to sound like some fucking douchebag but i do think like there are certain like i don't know if there are rules but it's like hey like take it seriously it's more of just like an unwritten kind of good form thing it's like just yeah make you know pick the actor best suited to the performance and when you have an actress with a cuban accent that constantly slips as Marilyn Monroe. I mean, it's, it's going to take people out and frankly, it's going to make her look bad as a performer. So nobody wins here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think it's just kind of a mess. It's like, clearly it's, it's the way it's getting talked about is like, Hey, it makes me want to stay away, but I don't know. It's on Netflix. So maybe some random night when I'm like bored out of my mind, maybe, maybe I'll watch it. 
but just, I don't know. Just to make also another, like, kind of my whole feelings known here, I felt the same way about Kristen Stewart playing Princess Diana, where yeah, she's yeah. not British, her accent's not good. Why did you go with her? Go with somebody who best inhabits the person you are trying to portray on camera and their legacy. That's yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair argument. That movie also just boring as fuck. Like oh so goddamn boring. You know, the only thing like, I really remember was the old couple who wouldn't shut the fuck up in the theater I was at. I, yeah, I, man, biopics can go so poorly. And like if it's not it's not taken seriously, it's like, oh God, this is well, a disaster. If this new project I'm working on goes in the right direction, hopefully I'll be able to help with that. Yes. There you go. There you go. Wouldn't wouldn't it be fun to like do your own biopic and be able to like make decisions like that on casting people? Like that'd be so I, cool. I wrote a paper on uh Rocky Erickson a couple semesters in college uh, a couple nice. semesters ago. I got so fascinated with this guy's life. Uh he was a um rock rock star in the 60s in Austin, Texas, right when it was starting to boom. And um I want, I, I, I got so into this guy's life that I was just like, somebody should tell this story. And I, I want to turn this into a screenplay. I just don't have any time, but I, I want to tell that guy's story. I know exactly what I'd call it. Two headed dog, like his biggest yeah. song. And Hell yeah. I, I, I thought about like who I would cast and I want like, I think uh, Paul Walter Hauser is the guy I would want. Okay. That would be cool. Yeah. Like this, this could happen. I could do this. I just don't have fucking time to do it. I know you. I know what you mean, man. Ah. I just have the. I just have these ideas. <laughs> I need like. I need, like, a rent-free place, and like fifty thousand dollars, and I can do all of this. Is that too much to ask? So please uh, donate. Yeah. <laughs> if you invest, if you invest three years of rent-free peace. And and, and fifty thousand dollars, I I I will I will give you your money back, <laughs> and then some. You know, I I will write a show as good as The Wire. You know, <laughs> like a, I'll give it my all. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll give funny. you three novels, eight short stories, and a screenplay, and you do with that what you want. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just need time and some money. <laughs> I need time and less stress and just people leaving me alone for like a few months yeah that's the main thing is like just like the just the everyday like trials like of 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 life and you're just like i have to do this thing it's taking away from all my creative time (laughs) and and it sucks funniest thing is like i keep having that conversation with myself and then what do i do i go and start talking about another friend about another podcast (laughs) i'm like Half of me is like, this is gonna be fun, but the other half of me is like, what the fuck are you thinking? You can barely handle this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my brother asked me, uh, my my other brother Jeremy was like, he's do you ever think? <laughs> and he's right. He he, he he's right because he knows me. He's do you ever think like all the time you spend recording, and all the time you spend watching the movies that like you do for that show? He's like, what if you like wrote that entire time? I'm like, don't tell me that, man. <laughs> Don't tell me that. This is easier, all right? <laughs> uh, but but at the end of the day, you know, I, I had someone ask me, one of my friends, they're like, well, what do you want to do? You love movies so much. And I'm like, you know what? I have no idea what I would do. I don't know if I'd want to write or if I'd want to be behind a camera or what it would be. 
I love watching them. I fucking love inhaling movies and learning and finding out about new directors and new writers and new performers. Like that's what I like to do. And I don't know if I have like the heart or the true passion to actually be a part of it. I'm okay with being on the outside. Like I, I, that's probably where I belong. The discourse around it is like what I'm most fascinated with. Uh, talking to you about movies or talking to someone who's like uh, not as, not as into it, but also has like a passion for specific movies. Like I, I can do either one. I like talking to, to Connor who, who's like understands everything I'm saying. And, and I, I understand most of what he's saying. And then I also like the discourse of talking to someone who's like, yeah, I watch like two movies a week, you know, like, you know, people who are like, aren't as crazy about it. I, I, I like that. I like connecting with different people on different scales of like being a movie fan. Like that's what I love. And that's why I do the podcast. You know, that's what I told my brother and he's like, good answer. He's like, I was just wondering, you know, like what if you like created something with all the time you spend recording? And I'm like, yeah, I get that, but I wouldn't. If I wasn't doing the podcast, I'd be fucking dicking around doing some other dumb shit. I'd be playing some video game or watching some stupid TV show. You know what I mean? This is good for me. I know exactly what you mean because I do have the time and I still don't create. Like I can do, like I have my, my schoolwork. I have my podcast. I have time and I just choose to not do it because frankly, you know, I don't have the spark right now. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm 60 pages into a new novel. I'm scrapping all of it because I'm not, I'm not happy with it. Yeah. I, and that's, a, that's a hard choice to make, but I'd rather write something I'm proud of than just power through some shit. And I, I, I respect that so much, man. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. It sounds to me, honestly, like you should be a producer because they don't have to do anything, but they still get to call the shots. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get in with like Paramount or something because you're smarter than all those dipshits. You can work your way to the top. No problem. You just got to lie to the right people. I would also love to be the one guy in the studio who's like, you know, a hot new director comes in. I'm like, let's, let's, let's see what he does here. And everybody's like, no, like we got this movie's three hours. We got to cut it. And I'm like, no, nah, man, like maybe he's the next Paul Thomas Anderson. Let's let it happen. <laughs> See, then you'd get the argument of like Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't make money. So get the fuck out of here. Exactly. Exactly. Oh uh, yeah. We're about to go into a whole fucking oh, yeah. rabbit hole. Uh, we could talk about this forever. See, this is what I love to do. This is what yeah. I love to do. I'm Just trying desperately right now to turn that into a teaching career. And I might pull it off. I might not. I don't know until I get there. You're going to try, though. God yeah. damn it. You're going to try. I'm going to fucking argue this till I am red in the fucking face. And then some. If I hear they, if I hear I don't get it from that committee, I might start throwing shit. <laughs> Fuck all of you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be amazing. Uh, let's see. We're, uh, I guess we're done here. Huh? I, guess, I guess we're done. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess uh, that's a good way to get out of here. Um, we do have we do have a, a cool week coming up. We got a uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser two, on uh, Filmgasm. We have Bye Bye Man on <laughs> Bye Bye Man on Beyond the Bad. Fuck yeah! Uh, and then we next week we're going to be doing a movie in honor of Amsterdam, 
we're going to be doing uh, the, the new David Russell film coming out next week starring Christian Bale and a bunch of other motherfuckers. Uh, we're going to be doing another David O. Russell movie. Probably my favorite of his movies, The Fighter, 2010. Uh, solid flick. You got Melissa Leo winning for Best Supporting Actress, and you got Christian Bale winning his only Oscar uh, the, that, he's, that he's ever won. He's been nominated four times, um, and he's, he's phenomenal in that movie, right? So uh, he, he has a big he, he, He's the main character in Amsterdam. Uh, really, he's not really a supporting role in the fighter he's in a lot of that movie and he and he's he's acting circles around everybody uh i want to i know we both love him and i want to like really honor him and so we're going to do a top five christian bale performances next week i'm super stoked i think we'll have some similarities but i think we also both have like our our our, our bale stuff yeah. i'm su- super stoked for that he's of this generation he's one of the best guys and It'll be cool to like shine a spotlight on him. I do find it also kind of cool that this is our third best supporting actor win in a row. On this yeah, show. I did. I, I like just thought of that while we were recording. I, I have the fighter written down. And I was like, wait, come and get it. Walter Brennan. Viva Zapata, Anthony Quinn and the fighter Christian Bale. <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, and we just did the town not that long ago. You know, like we're, we're we love this category. We can't stay away from it. Um, we will be uh, doing a a best picture showdown earlier than usual though. So the week after the fighter will be a best picture showdown. Uh, that'll be episode 124 because Connor is going to be going to Germany and I don't want him to miss out on that showdown. So uh, it'll be quicker than usual and it'll definitely be here before we know it, but uh, we'll, we'll get out of here. I, I had a lot of fun on this, this one. This is random as hell. Viva Zapata had no idea was going to bring up all these different rabbit holes of like, what is a celebrity? <laughs> what am what am i doing with my life you know these existential uh you know fucking topics i always have fun with you man it's always a good time just chatting this is the basis of our show is that we're friends and we always uh find a way to find a way to talk about shit um follow us on facebook twitter instagram uh, at filmgasm check out our website filmgasm.com for new reviews uh you know i, th- I think you probably have a hocus pocus 2 one up there <laughs> uh, I will. I will soon for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the Connor's putting stuff up there nonstop. Uh, we're always having fun. Uh, Oscar award seasons, you know, is, is starting to kind of get into swing. I'm excited to see like what movies get, get, uh, get, get panned and what movies get that love and get that, you know, uh, that word of mouth. I'm super excited. Uh, keep watching movies guys. And we'll see you on Wednesday.